Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Good morning. We uh, had a great morning at the 9 a.m. outdoor service. It was pretty unique to do a concert in the park, so to speak. And then, of course, now here we are at 11. There's a few people in the sanctuary. We're getting used to a new way of living, as we all have had to do the past seven months. But our posture and heart has been we wanted no one left out or left behind in our services. And so very thankful there are those of you at home joining us and thankful for you who have come and are seated in here this morning. It's really been great to be back and at least see people's eyes um, for the morning. And this has been such an anxiety-ridden season. Um, Yet at the same time, I think it's been really helpful for us who are believers. And I think the hopefulness would stem from the fact that we have missed the hugs and the Handshakes, of course, we're not fully back to those that still elbow bumps and waves, the smiles, the fellowship. Um, But we know that God has kept us together as a church, and that's been remarkable during these times. So I want to start off with some questions that help us think about the passages that we've heard and then dive into the text this morning. So let me start with this first one. Are you a hope-filled person? Are you a hope-filled person? And maybe even to ask another related question to that, what would it take to move you to become a hope-filled person? We're in this sermon series on the church, the hope of the world, and we do believe without um, any doubt and wavering that the church, the body of Christ, locally expressed like Church of the Redeemer gathered or the body of Christ bigger, the different kinds of churches throughout this city and community and the world, delivers the hope of the world. So the church is the important vehicle to proclaim that hope is real and can be taken hold of. And so I think it'd be important for me to describe maybe personally why I find myself a hopeful person, especially in what we're enduring as a nation and as a world. The first reason I find myself very hopeful still is that I'm a changed man. I'm changed by the gospel. I believe this stuff. This stuff is true. It marks how I believe. It marks how I live. It marks what I think. It marks what I call my future and my hope, my meaning and my purpose. The gospel has invaded my life and it has affected me. And by no means have I got it figured out, but what I have figured out is there's a hope. And this hope I want to explain in fuller depth the rest of the morning. Secondly, it's good to see each other and it's good to be together. It's remarkable to see people gathering out this morning. We want to be back together. We want to worship together. That's a sense of hopefulness. And third, I saw yesterday out here from 10 till noon, um, Christians giving the best food and the best produce and sharing love and kindness. People praying for people who've come here yesterday. I saw something remarkable, the church in action. And so that reminds me of hope. So again, are you a hopeful or a hope-filled person, 
and what would it take to move you to become so? So let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time in the word. Almighty God, you alone gave us the breath of life. And you alone can keep alive in us the holy desires you impart. We beg you for our own compassion's sake to sanctify all of our thoughts and endeavors that we neither would begin something without pure intention nor continue it without your blessings. And give us that having the eyes of our mind enlightened to behold things invisible and unseen, not just things that we see. We may in our hearts be inspired by your wisdom, in work upheld by your strength. And in the end, as the new heavens and new earth come, be accepted as your faithful servants through Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. You're welcome to turn with me if you have a Bible Revelation 21 and 22, I'm going to spend the bulk of my time there. I was sitting with my daughter recently, and as is my custom, if I mention a kid in a sermon illustration, I have to pay him five bucks. I'll mention another one, so this, this day has cost me ten dollars to you know throw my kids out and use them as examples. But I was sitting with Emily, 18-year-old. Emily graduates. It's so hard to believe that she will graduate this year, Lord willing. And um, when we moved here, Emily was four years old. So I was sitting with Emily, and we're talking. She said, Dad, you know, I just wish, and I just wish is a phrase I hear a lot of people say. I just wish that everyone had a home, and everyone had enough food, and everyone was kind to one another. And I said, you know, Emily, that is the longing of all of our hearts for the most part. Maybe we wish our house was a little bit bigger, broader, a little bit more food or dessert added to that menu. But all of us long for this picture, and that's a picture that God has given us in Revelation 21 and 22. This longing for new heavens and new earth, this longing for community and fellowship. And I just assured her that that longing in you is something God has planted in you and something he promises to us. One of my seminary professors once said, I could summarize the book of Revelation in two words. And we all kind of leaned forward on our seats like, really? And he said, Jesus triumphs. Two words. Really simple. And that's why even as a young child, whenever I read a fiction book, I always turn to the last chapter and I read it. I don't like surprises. I want to know, is this going to end well? And if it is, then I'm going to give my time to it. And I remember my parents had this photo of me when I was probably six or seven, sitting in the living room on shag carpet back in the 70s with super huge 1970s disco earphones on. I was wearing a Shazam cape. I was listening to Peter Frampton. There's three people in the room who've ever heard of Peter Frampton. Some of you online have heard of Peter Frampton. And I was reading a picture Bible, big, thick one. And I was infatuated with the story in Revelation. These pictures, dragons and angels and demons and all these things. And I just couldn't get enough. And it filled my imagination and as I became a believer and read Revelation 21 and 22 and discovered how things in, 
ended, it built in me a sense of hopefulness. That in the midst of all the changes and chances of life, God makes some clear statements to us. And here they are. Four simple statements. He will be our God. We will be his people. He will be with us. And there's no more pain. Let me say that again. God will be our God. We will be his people. He will be with us. And there will be no more pain in this world. In all the ups and downs of life, these, these words, Jesus triumphs, the statements I've just read, have formed and they've shaped my life. What I believe and why I live more than anything else. Jesus triumphs. These two chapters, Revelation 21 and 22, I believe are two of the most amazing chapters because without fanfare and drama, they tell us the end of the story. Jesus wins. And in both chapters, something very interesting is uttered if you were paying attention as they were read. The writer says this twice, and I think it's of great significance. These words are true. Write them down. Both times. Why? Why is that important that the writer would say that again in a chapter that follows one another? It's because we, God's people, we need these words for us. We need them to be our true guide. We need them to shape our thinking, our living, to inform our imagination about what is to come. We need them more than God needs them. And so there's often several kinds of responses when we hear about Revelation 21 and 22. There's, I'd say, several that I'll flesh out for us for just a moment. The first response is something like this. I'd call it disbelief. Okay, I hear these words. No more pain. God's with us. We're with him. Um, no more tears, all that. I hear them, and I, I deeply want them to be true. But my current experience won't allow me to imagine that they're possible or even to hope for them. That is what I would call disbelief. They're in my head. I sure wish and I sure hope. But my present experiences and circumstances will not afford me the opportunity to believe that's how it's going to happen. The second response is unbelief. I don't believe this at all. Even if I proclaim to be a Christian or I'm not a part of the church, I start to experience a great deal of dissatisfaction and disillusionment with the statements, the gospel, these stories. Drew talked about this last week in such a great message that I just, I can't believe this is true. And I think people who do are kind of foolish or naive. But the third response, I think, is the response we hope we all have, and that is hope. I know that these words are true, even if it doesn't seem possible, even if my circumstances don't indicate it's true, but yet I hold on to it fastly. So I want to explain this morning out of Revelation 21 and 22, how do we live as a hopeful person or a hopeful people? First of all, we know how the story ends. We know what the future holds. And so much of life, 
as you get older. So Charlie, kids, as you get older, you'll realize this is the way it is. It's all about managing risk. This whole service, what we've done this morning, has been managed risk. We've taken your temperatures. We've had you register, wash your hands, wear your mask. We don't want anything bad to happen. That's what life becomes, unfortunately, if you don't know how the story ends. You're managing risk for your life. So you pay your insurance, you wonder and scratch your head, what are we going to do when the worst could happen or if the worst can happen? But you see, a hopeful person knows without a shadow of doubt that the worst can and often does happen. But it is not the end, but rather the beginning. The worst can happen, and it does happen. And I'm actually not surprised when things turn out badly in the worldly sense. Because I know they're not the end, but the beginning. And this hope is driven by these great promises of God. Let's consider this for just a moment. God's greatest promise to us, and this is absolutely my favorite theological thing to share. And if you're around me long enough, you'll go, uh, he's playing that note again. You know, one note, Johnny. Alan's going to talk about God's promises. Well, it's a great note to play. Uh, If you have a better note, you can jump in and play your note. But his great promise is that he will be with us. And secondly, that there will be no more weeping, no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. So I love all my children with the greatest of affection. They're all different. I'm so honored that God has chosen Angela Kay and I to grow them into life and into this world. And yet this summer I was really impressed with Ryan, our 10-year-old. Ryan would wake me up or remind me before bed this summer when most of you were sleeping till 11 a.m. Ryan was waking up at 7.30 in the morning to come up here to the church with me. And he was uh, feeding and watering the rabbits. He was taking care of one of the expectant mama rabbits. And when they gave birth, he was there shortly after to hold the babies and care for them and and he knew he was going to get one of them and so every week he would come two or three times a week and he would hold that little rabbit and he named her Ash and we were so excited we went to PetSmart or wherever and bought the cages and all that stuff and we were so excited to have Ash with us and Ash joined us on August 9th and it was great. The rabbit knew him, was very comfortable, very people-oriented. And every night we would hold Ash and play, and, and it really was an amazing experience. And then one day we came home, and the rabbit died. And I tell you, I'm a grown man, and I cried like a baby. I cried for Ryan. I wept. This rabbit, I'm tearing up now. This rabbit was so important to our family. We had watched Ryan do so well, and the thing died. And at one level, it's just a little furball. And another, it was a piece of our family and life. And the reason I'm telling you this illustration is even as simple as little Ash is, the great promise of God that drives our hope is that one day there will be no more death. This will not be our experience. This will not be our circumstances. We'll be free from pain and suffering. There'll be no more mental, physical, or emotional suffering. No more of it, and I, can, I honestly cannot wait for it. And I can just taste it. 
and want for that day to come. That's what drives our hope inside and in our minds and our lives. And the hope-filled person is assured of the greatest, most beautiful treasure. One day I will see Jesus face to face. And all these promises will come true. Secondly, a hope-filled person is a person who participates together in the plan of God to bring about this new heavens and new earth in, in this world, participates with him in this happening. And of all the places you could have lived, and I still pinch myself sometimes and think, how did we end up in Greensboro, North Kakilaki? Of all the places we could have landed, of all the faces you could be seen on Sunday morning and worshiping with, whether you're online or in person, of all these things, God has placed you here and now to labor with him together to see the new heavens and new earth come. To be a part of the church, it is not a club. Uh, Church trend watchers are saying something like, between 25 and 50% of the Christian population is actually not going to return to the church. Um, in light of COVID and disillusionment and all the political stuff and mess. And I understand and have great empathy towards all those things. But imagine if half of your family or a quarter of your family came home one day and declared, I'm out, I'm done with this. I'll see you later. I've got other things to do. It would be devastating. And the same is true of the church. It is not a club or an association. It's a family And like every family, it has its ups and its downs. It has crazy Uncle Joe and silly Aunt Susie. It has all these things, times of great excitement and joy, times of great uh, disappointment. But honestly, I say with full conviction, show me something better to belong to. I was a basketball player. My whole life was oriented around basketball. I lived for it. I could name you every player in the NBA, their height, their college, and their years of experience. I could even tell you stats and facts and figures of how they did. I can tell you that I lived for it. And it doesn't even compare to being a part of the church. Show me something better to be a part of. And I'd leave this stuff and join it. But the fact is, there is nothing better than being a part of the family of God and participating with him in what he's doing in the world. The Apostle Paul talks about this relationship that he has to the church in Colossians chapter 1. He says, I, Paul, have become its servant, its doulos, its slave, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now is disclosed to the Lord's people. I've become a servant of this thing called the church. And to them, God has chosen the believers to make known among all the Gentiles, all the people not a part of Israel, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is this. Here's the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul says, I've given my life to this ministry to help you understand Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he says, he, Jesus, is the one that we proclaim, we talk about, 
admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, with all of our mind and our intellect and our heart, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's our job. My job is helping you, and your job is helping me and us helping others be presented mature in Christ. And then Paul says this in verse 29. To this end, or to this goal, telos is the fancy word, I strenuously contend with all energy. I labor with all of my strength for this. With all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. The church as a body, imperfectly of course, bears witness that Jesus is victorious. We gather together to celebrate the memorial of our faith. We say it weekly as we gather. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Good job. Now, I don't mean to sound simplistic with you. I don't want you to think I'm shallow in this understanding about why we gather. We are saying something when we gather as the body, something extremely radical, something extremely subversive. It is a political statement to say this. Jesus is Lord and is coming soon. It undoes all affiliations and entities and associations and political parties and constructs. Jesus is Lord and he's coming soon. And the story we get to live and share is this profound message of hope in this day. It doesn't matter if you are strong or weak, if you are rich or poor, if you are male or female, if you are important or you are unknown, if you are single or you are married, if you are young or if you are old, if you are simple or sophisticated, this hope is to everyone and it is for everyone. Let me tell you what hopeful people do. Hopeful people pursue justice and mercy and love because of this hope. We fight just as much for a person's circumstances in life as their heart because we know the new heavens and the earth are coming. Let me share a couple more examples. You may think, am I a hopeful person? Well, let me tell you what hopeful people do. They strive for justice and mercy and love in this life. Secondly, they have babies. And I don't mean to sound like it's all about having kids. It's not maybe your parents and you have kids and one day you're going to hope that your kids are going to grow up and they're going to have children. Or maybe you're sitting there in your 20s and 30s and you don't have children yet and you're thinking, what kind of world would I bring a new kid into? This is a crazy world that we live in. But I'll tell you what, hopeful people will say, I'm having babies because the new heavens and the new earth is coming. They fight for the poor in spirit, for the stranger, for the outcast, for the downtrodden. The reason is that if the new heavens and new earth were not coming, none of this would matter. Let me say that again. If this story isn't true, none of it would matter. And do what it says in some places in scripture. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Or as I like to say it another way, If this isn't true, new heavens and new earth, then you need to get as much of life as you can for as long as you can. Because one day, 
somebody's going to put you in a box or in a can, and it's going to be the end of your story. Hopeful people serve the church for the sake of the world. Their aim and their mission is the Lord's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And hopeful people tell a better story at work, at school, at home, in their families, in their neighborhoods, with their friends. Whether they're on teams or associations or networks, they tell a better story. A story that says this, everything that we do and every way that we do it and everyone we do it with and everyone we do it to is of universal and eternal significance. It's of such significance that one could say what we're doing here, whether there's 20 of us in the room and a few people online or, or in another service, matters for eternity. Let me conclude by speaking to our hearts this morning now. You may think this, but I don't feel hopeful. This sounds really good, Alan. I know you're kind of paid to do this. You're the professional Christian. This is what you study. This is what you've done. But, but I am looking at you or I'm listening to you, and I don't feel hopeful. I want you to know that you're not alone. That's how many people are. But at the same time, I want you to know that there are many people who are hopeful. There are many people who gather. There are many people who pray. There are many people who strive. And we gather as a church to be reminded of our hope. Our hope is in Christ. Nothing more and certainly nothing less. The great English preacher Charles Spurgeon Uh, 150 or so years ago, once said, the believing person must have, in one hand, a newspaper. Now, um, I asked the crowd out here at nine how many people read newspapers, and I only saw three hands. Most of us use devices, so if Charles Spurgeon was speaking to us today, he would say, a hopeful person has, in one hand, their iPhone, and in another, a Bible. Now, Some of the kids in the room are going to go, yeah, but my iPhone has my Bible. So, okay, Charles Spurgeon would say today, a Christian has an iPhone or an Android, and it has on there a browser where they get their information of the world and a Bible app where they get their truth about the world. And Spurgeon's point was this. You can't ignore the world. You can't neglect it. You can't forget it. At the same time, what are you listening to that gives you hope? My phone tells me each day at the end of the day how much time I spent in screen time. Imagine if I spend three hours gathering news and information from the world and spend very little energy gathering words of truth for my heart. Maybe something has to shift. That's where our heart has to be realigned. I want to hear God's word because I need to be formed by it. I need to have hope in this world. I need to know what's true and real. Last thing to do when you don't feel hopeful is you come to this table behind me. You come and be filled. You come and meet with Jesus. You come and be renewed. 
so that you will experience as his promises to be true for you and for you as well. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that your promises are coming true and will be true to us in Jesus. May we be hopeful people who live lives that please you and bless others, who live lives of such a radical statement that you are coming back and you are coming soon. And I pray that our day, our life, until the new heavens and the new earth come, that we will be people of hope. And I pray this in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus.